We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, May the 27th, 2021. Today's show, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let me be the first to wish you a very happy 100 days until Gamecocks football kickoff. And guys, on that note, we're talking South Carolina football, and specifically, it is preseason magazine season. We're breaking down Athlon Sports SEC preview magazine, guys. I'll break it all down for you guys. Talk about Athlon Sports preseason all-SEC team, their position unit rankings, their SEC coaches rankings, their full team overview of South Carolina, their overall record and projected SEC finish. Much, much more from there, guys, as the countdown begins 100 days until toe meets leather in williams Bryce Stadium. Guys, also got news and notes to get into, your listener questions, and a fantastic interview. Former South Carolina Gamecocks quarterback Tommy Beecher joined me for a fantastic conversation, guys. You are sure to enjoy. Before we get into everything, guys, it's a podcast into you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention other companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. The movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether you're in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, at Upstate Movers Group. Or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
Yo, what is up, folks? Happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm your host, Chris Phillips, the Spurs Up Show, as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in, guys. And let me be the first to congratulate you all. You know, after a tumultuous 2020, where many of us sat there, all of us were unsure when and even if Gamecocks football would be played, what capacity it would be played in. And even as we counted down the days to kick off last year, you know, it was clouded with so much uncertainty that I feel like we really weren't even able to enjoy it the way that we normally do. So with that being said, folks, we made it. Congratulations. One Hundred days until Gamecocks football returns in our lives. 100 days until toe meets leather at Williams Bryce Stadium. And 100 days until a brand new era of South Carolina football begins under head coach Shane Beamer. The countdown is on. The countdown has officially begun, as I'm sure you've all seen by this point on social media, and we'll be counting this puppy down every single day up until kickoff on September the 4th against Eastern Illinois. Folks, thank you all so much for tuning in. Hope you're doing well. Here's another exciting piece of news for you all, by the way, guys. Get this, which it's crazy. It almost... It almost blows my own mind, to be honest with you. It's kind of wild. Because we're starting to talk football. I told you guys the football content was coming. With baseball making an early exit in the SEC tournament, that sort of cleared the path for the end of this week to be the beginning of the football content. Get this, guys. It's crazy because it's only May the 27th, right? There will not be a week that goes by outside of the week of July 4th, which I'm going to take off, and you guys will be on vacation, I'm sure. But outside of that, there will not be a week that goes by that we do not talk about South Carolina football in some capacity, whether that be previews or actual game breakdowns or whatever it is. There won't be a week that goes by that we don't talk about South Carolina football in some capacity until literally the end of football season, most likely in December. And that, my friends, brings a smile to my face. And I hope it makes you as giddy as it makes me. Again, guys, happy Thursday. Hope you're doing well. Appreciate you all tuning in. Let me take a second to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the continued love and support, man, with the content. You guys continue to rock with what we do, make everything a huge success, and I truly Truly do appreciate it. Without you guys, you guys are the engine that make this thing go. Without you guys, none of this would be possible. We got some really exciting stuff coming up in the pipeline. Got some really exciting stuff planned for football season. Things that I cannot wait to roll out to you all. And again, thank you all so much for making everything we do a massive success. You know, I get to wake up and chase my dreams and, and my passions and Without you guys, that would not be possible. So, again, thank you all so much. I truly do appreciate it. With that being said, like I said, guys, 100 days to kick off. What better way to celebrate than talk some South Carolina football preview content? And specifically, like I told you guys last week, man, it's talking season. And what comes with talking season? Preview 
magazine season. You guys know Athlon, Phil Steele, Lindy's, all those magazines. Today specifically, though, we are talking Athlon Sports, their SEC preview magazine. We'll talk about what they say about the SEC, what they talk say about South Carolina, of course. Everything you need to know. Again, I'm not going to read from this magazine verbatim or anything, so if the guys over at Athlon are listening and they want to see what I'm saying, no, I'm not going to literally spoil everything in the magazine, but just some things that stuck out to me, some of the highlights. You know, it's crazy, man. I got this magazine in the mail on Monday, and you would have thought it was like a little kid on Christmas, man. I was so excited, was so pumped up, was opening up packages. I was like, let's go, dude. We got, we got the magazine. We got a magazine in the mail. Let's go. So we'll be doing this. Of course, today with the Athlon magazine, I'll do this with the Phil Steele magazine. I'll do this with Pick 6 Previews and his magazine, his uh, his content. He said, uh, my good buddy, Brett Cianci, does such a good job. So we will do this with all the preview content. And guys, like I said, football content just beginning as we sit here 100 days from kickoff. Without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into it again. Athlon Sports, I have it right here in front of me. Their SEC preview magazine. If you get the South Carolina one, which you should, it has a big picture of Kevin Harris on the front, looking real good in that 1984 throwback jersey, I might add. But a big picture of Kevin Harris on the front. And in big old letters, it says, Beamer Ball comes to Columbia. Which I sit there and I wonder, I'm like, hmm. I'm like, the font looks pretty similar. Do you think they got some inspiration from our website by chance? I don't know. From the online store, from the merch, the Beamer Ball merch. Maybe they got some, uh, some inspiration. From the T-shirts and the hats and all the merchandise you guys have been buying. Again, I truly appreciate it. But again, Kevin Harris on the front. Beamer ball comes to Columbia. Of course, that is the big storyline of this Gamecocks football season. Shane Beamer beginning his first year. The first thing I want to touch on is Athlon Sports. You know, they talk SEC. They're preseason all-SEC teams. And again, I know this is probably something you guys have already seen because it was posted by Gamecocks football. We posted as well. But five Gamecocks making the preseason All-SEC team for Athlon Sports. And those guys are as follows. Running back Kevin Harris and defensive lineman J.J. Inigbare, both being named to the first team, especially in Harris's respects, very, very much deserved. You know, you feel like with him, is he going to get shafted? Are they going to go tank Bigsby? Are they going to go Isaiah Spiller? No, Kevin Harris named first team by Athlon as well as defensive lineman J.J. Inigbari, who had a monster season last year. I would expect, expect him to do big things yet again on that Gamecocks defensive front. Tight end Nick Muse named the Athlon Sports third team. Very good honors for him and a guy. I think, again, I think you would expect to have a big year for South Carolina offensively. And then on the fourth team, offensive lineman Dylan Wanham and defensive lineman Zach Pickens, both named to the fourth team. So again, you know, when you think about it and you're talking about a program that has won a combined six games in the previous two seasons to have five guys on the preseason all SEC team, it's really not that bad. I think it shows, you know, while there are plenty of holes to fix, you got a brand new head coach. There are tons of question marks. There is talent on this football team. There are talented players on this football team. So again, five guys on the preseason All-SEC team for Athlon Sports. Guys, let's move in and look at position unit rankings. This is where it gets really interesting. So just read them off here. You know, they, so what this is, of course, just like it sounds, they rank every single position unit, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, O-lineman, D-lineman, linebacker, and defensive back. They rank all of those, right, 1 through 14. 
Compare all the SEC teams against one another. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. For South Carolina outside of running back, it's pretty ugly. Let's start with quarterbacks. They ranked the Gamecocks 14th in the SEC. Dead last at the quarterback position. We know the question marks there. Luke Doty, Jason Brown, Colton Gothier. We understand the question marks, but 14th. They've got Kentucky 13th, Vanderbilt 12th even. They've got you 14th at quarterback. They've got you fourth at running back. And you guys might be saying, Chris, how in the world can South Carolina not be number one? These are the teams ahead of you. Alabama's number one, Georgia number two, and Texas A&M number three. They got you fourth in running backs. They've got you 14th at wide receiver tight end. Dead last yet again in the league in that position unit ranking. 14th at wide receiver and tight end. They got you 12th in O-line, which I think that's pretty criminally low for the the Gamecocks offensive line. Listen, I know they had their issues in pass blocking, and I told you guys last week when we talked college football news preview, you know, they had their issues pass blocking, but I think a lot of that could be and should be attributed to Colin Hill and his lack of mobility. I really do. With Luke Doty, those numbers will improve. And then you're talking about an offensive line that paved the way for the top returning rusher in the conference. So I feel like 12th is pretty harsh. And you got four or five starters returning. So 12th feels pretty harsh. They rank you seventh in defensive line, which, again, with all the talent you have on defensive line, seventh feels, you know, a lot of good defensive lines in the SEC. Don't get me wrong, but seventh feels, I don't know. I don't know. 12th in linebackers and 13th. In defensive backs. So, guys, there's something you're going to notice, by the way, when it comes to this Athlon Sports preview. They do not think extremely highly of South Carolina. That's just the overall tone that I get. Listen, I'm not saying it's not warranted. I'm not saying there aren't question marks all over the field. But that is the overall tone you get from Athlon's preseason magazine. I'm not... I'm not saying that to say, hey, don't go out there and buy it. It's a good magazine. They do fantastic work. It's extremely informative. And I like to read it. I like to read all the magazines. But there are tons of question marks. And they are sure to highlight all of those. There's no question about that. Like I said, guys, Kevin Harris, the the returning leading rusher in the SEC, just to remind you guys how good he was last year, man. 185 carries for 1,138 yards, 6.2 yards per carry, and he had 15 touchdowns in 10 games, 113.8 yards per game. Absolutely incredible. Guys, let's move into SEC coaches rankings. Athlon Sports ranked the SEC coaches 1 through 14. They ranked Shane Beamer, new Gamecocks head football coach, dead last at 14th. Here's what they said about Coach Beamer. You ready? Here's what they said. It says, Beamer was a popular hire among fans and former players at South Carolina, and his previous tenure as an assistant in Columbia helped to lay the groundwork for a successful 33-6 and run over the next three seasons. However, Beamer's job in 2021 is tougher. The Gamecocks are coming off a 2-8 and season and appear ticketed for another rough campaign. As the son of legendary coach Frank Beamer, Shane is a football lifer and has spent time as an assistant at Mississippi State, Georgia, Virginia Tech, and Oklahoma. 
Although South Carolina's rebuilding effort is a daunting task for a first-year first-time coach, working under Lincoln Riley and Kirby Smart has prepared Beamer. So, listen, you can't expect to get much more love. You know, you're going to continue to see these these rankings, these lists of SEC coaches and coordinators and all that. You can't expect to get much love. Shane Beamer's never been a head coach. He's never been a coordinator. And he, you know, so you're not going to get a whole lot of love when it comes to the rankings. Gamecock fans, don't freak out. Don't even say that, oh my God, we got snubbed. We're getting no respect. Because again, honestly, guys, he's never coached a game. I like Coach Beamer. You like Coach Beamer. Hey, South Carolina likes Coach Beamer. And that's really all that matters. None of the outside stuff, none of the national views, none of it really matters. As long as we feel like we've got our guy and we all feel that way, we see what's happening behind closed doors, we see the culture improving, that's all that matters. But again, just to warn you guys, you're probably going to see that a lot more this offseason in regards to Shane Beamer and where he falls in SEC coaches' rankings. All right, let's get to the actual team overview portion. And what I'm going to do, guys, because they break everything down from the quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, O-line, and all the positions, whatever. I am just going to read the main portion. Because I'll be honest with you, when they talk all the other positions, it's kind of what you'd expect them to say. You know, again, brand new quarterbacks. You know, they're very high on Marshawn Lloyd and Kevin Harris. Receivers are huge question marks. O-linemen, they're kind of so-so. D-linemen, they feel like should be a strength. You know, linebackers, defensive backs, huge concern. Specialists should be good. So it's kind of what you'd expect, but I want to read the main portion for you guys and give you guys just sort of a feeling on the overall vibe they have regarding Gamecocks football this season. Here we go. They say, with a new head coach comes renewed hope, and South Carolina fans certainly needed it. The arrival of young, energetic, and passionate Shane Beamer did more for the fan base in three months than the stodgy, business-like Will Muschamp did in five years. You can say that again. Beamer's been so good at community outreach, taking part in social media initiatives and attending other events around campus, that it's been easy to say the culture has changed and to think a return to the heady days of Steve Spurrier is just around the corner. Beamer was a huge contributor to those glory years as a recruiting coordinator from 2007 to 10. He helped construct a roster that paid off in 2010 to 13, the best ever stretch of Gamecock football. His passion for the job makes it easy to forget that there have been only six wins over the past two seasons. His excitement about his dream job has convinced a fan base star for success that he can do what Spurrier did. They ignore the history and the numbers that unequivocally state that the Gamecocks are a struggling program stuck in a conference that gives them a national profile, but one that they can't take advantage of during football season. They're also looking past the fact that this year's roster is not strong. Quote, I'm honored to be your head football coach, but this is your program, end quote, Beamer told the fans. Quote, we're just getting started, end quote. His start, due to the roster deficiencies he inherited, could be extremely rocky. One priority for year one, avoid injuries. The Gamecocks had 59 players. Get this stat, guys. I posted this on social media over the weekend, but just hear me out on this. This is insane. The Gamecocks had 59 players. Miss at least one game due to an injury during the 2018 or 19 season with 29 missing four or more games. In 2010, with just a 10-game season, USC had 18 players miss at least one game with 12, 12 missing four or more. Again, it's absolutely crazy. The injury problems. 
that Sal kind of had in the previous regime. But again, there's that main portion. And like I told you guys, it is a, you know, with Athlon, I read that. I don't look at that as, hey, that's a that's a just a negative view. They hate kind of football. There are a lot of question marks. And it is excerpts like that, guys, that again, I feel really good about Shane Beamer. I feel great about this staff. I feel great about the direction of Carolina football. But it is going to take time. And that excerpt, guys, I think is just a reminder of that fact, that it's going to take time. This roster needs a lot of work. The only way to fix a couple of, you know, a lot of key areas on this football team is recruiting. It is not going to happen overnight. You've got to go get Big time ball players, which is why I've told you guys my number one one my number one priority in year one see a well coached football team. Bottom line, a team that's disciplined, that shows up and plays the right way, patting each other on the butt. They're excited to play. They're playing for the name on the front of the jersey and not the back. I'm not so much worried. You know, the, you want to win games, of course, right? You want to win games, but the wins and losses are sort of secondary in year one under Shane Beamer. Go out, show me a well-coached football team, begin to lay the groundwork and the foundation and still the culture of your program. Once you do that, then you say to yourself, okay, now let's go get some big-time ball players. Let's go get some big-time ball players because you've got serious holes on this roster to fill. Let's talk about the key Gamecocks. Just a couple of guys that they list for South Carolina this season. Uh, of course, Kevin Harris, they say after posting the program's 11th 1,000-yard rushing season, needing only 10 games to do it, Harris will be the centerpiece of the offense. They also mentioned Nick Muse. They say his production skyrocketed in the final three games with Shai Smith gone. He's the top returning receiver. They also mentioned Kingsley and Igbare. JJ, they said he led the team in sacks and tackles for loss last year and will have to supply some much-needed pressure from the edge. They also mentioned Marshawn Lloyd. Running back, says a torn ACL nicks his entire season, but his recruiting rankings and offseason reports last year said he was better than Harris. That's what I've been telling you guys, man. Believe it or not, fully healthy, I think Marshawn Lloyd could be better than Kevin Harris. And finally, I mentioned Parker White. Automatic from 49 yards and in, he can bail out an offense that will likely need some time to find itself. Just don't ask for 50 yarders, they say. And honestly, they're right. He struggled with those long with Parker White, definitely a good weapon for you. But again, I think we can agree all those guys are going to play a huge role in this 2021 season for South Carolina. Let's go into a really interesting section of this Athlon SEC preview magazine. And I want to preface it by saying this, guys. I'm just going to read it off to you. How much validity to it is there? Who said the stuff we are reading and hearing that we will never know. But this next section I'm going to read, and if you've ever gotten these magazines, I'm sure you've read it before, and it's really intriguing and interesting because what it's called is Scouting the Gamecocks. Opposing coaches size up South Carolina, and they do this for every single of the schools, right? And what this is is it's anonymous coaches in the SEC talking about the teams. So, I mean, who knows who it is? And I'll tell you this, too, from talking to guys that work in college football and are in the business, sometimes some of this stuff is fabricated. Sometimes some of this stuff is made up. I mean, you think about it. They're not held accountable to anything. They're not, they, they don't, you know, we have no clue who said any of this stuff. And I'm not trying to discredit Athlon or the comments here, 
But I'm just giving you guys, I'm just prefacing, you know. Take what you hear with a grain of salt. It's interesting. It's intriguing nonetheless. And a lot of times it's accurate. But I'm just saying, just, just beware. Just beware. All right, let's get into it. Scouting the Gamecocks, opposing coaches, size up South Carolina. Here we go. Once Will Muschamp was let go, everything really fell apart. There was a huge difference once he was fired, plus the injuries and transfers. It's funny because you could see some stuff former offensive coordinator Mike Bobo brought in using fullbacks and tight ends that maybe this was going to be the right OC for Will. It was just too late. I don't think they expected to have the hot seat year in 2020. They were starting really slow on offense and trying to buy the defense time. Now, here's a sentence that I completely, completely disagree with. You ready? It says, talking to their coaches, the administration had no support for Will and Ray Tanner couldn't protect him, so it didn't really matter what they did. I think Will Muschamp himself must have said that because that is the biggest crock of shit I've ever heard. Will Muschamp got more chances than freaking any human being on this planet Earth deserves. So that had to be Muschamp that said that. Yeah, I just I read that. I, I could not believe what was printed on this here sheet of paper. I could not believe it. Anyways, anyways. It then goes on to say Shane Beamer is going to change the offense completely, but we're not so sure what it will look like because they really don't have a lot to work with at the skill positions. If they can do it, they'll probably try some RPO. The upside is I think that Marcus Satterfield's a good offensive coordinator for that situation. He will mix it up for whatever fits who they've got. Talent-wise, they're pretty thin at receiver. They have no quarterback, so it's going to be a long summer. Defensively, they're going 4-2-5, which is pretty different from what they've done, and they're going to be a similar situation to the offense where they're going to have to scheme around what they don't have. A lot of their best guys went in the transfer portal when Will was fired. They need to figure out recruiting. They didn't bring in a lot. They could be shoppers in the portal themselves. So again, a very sobering take on the state of Gamecock football. You know, and again, it's fair. It's fair. We have question marks all over the place, and we are depending on guys in a lot of areas that have never played a down at the University of South Carolina. So I get it. The one issue I have, whoever said that thing about there was no support for Will, trust me. I was calling for Will Champ's head for two years. I felt the backlash from that. I promise you somebody was in his corner. I promise you. Let's just get that out there. I, again, I think Will Muschamp himself must have gotten interviewed because there's just no way anybody tuned in right now or anybody else out there could argue otherwise that he, that, you know, say that he didn't have the support. That's total bullshit. Complete bullshit. All right, let's get into finally wrapping up the team over you. Just some key numbers. Some of these really interesting numbers for Gamecocks. I love these numbers they list. The first number is 5.7, 5.7. The Gamecocks recorded 39 tackles for a loss across 688 defensive snaps last season, an average of 5.7% of plays that ranked 13th in the SEC and 117th in FBS. Excluding sacks, South Carolina recorded a tackle for loss on 6.5% of rushing attempts, lowest in the SEC and 119th nationally. I'll, I'll warn you guys, most of these key numbers are not positive. <laughs> 
<clears throat> and it makes you realize how tough the season was last year. The next number, 40.9. 40.9. Opponents reached the end zone on 40.9% of their drives against the South Carolina defense in 2020. The second highest rate in the SEC and number 119 in the country. Opponents got to the end zone, guys, almost half the time they got the ball. <clears throat> I mean, that, that's, that's flat out insane. Next number, 9.9. South Carolina surrendered an average of 9.9 .9 points in the first quarter in 2020. Most of any SEC defense and number 121 nationally. Again, that defense was historically bad last year. And the final number, 11.8. South Carolina was tackled behind the line of scrimmage 78 times in 664 offensive snaps, a rate of 11.8% that ranked last in the SEC and 117th overall. So offensively, defensively, hell, maybe even special teams. It was just bad all the way around for South Carolina. There's no other way to put it. Now, let's move into the things you guys are probably all wanting to know. The thing you're all wanting to know. Hey, what's our record? How do they got us projected finishing in the SEC and overall record? Let's get into that right now. I will first go through their projected order of finish in the West and then the East, and then I will give you guys the record they are picking and their synopsis on the Gamecocks 2021 season. Here's the West. They've got Alabama, shocker, winning the SEC West. Two through seven, they've got A&M, LSU, Ole Miss, Auburn, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. In the SEC East, they have Georgia, shocker again, winning the SEC East. And get this, by the way, guys, you talk about a friendly schedule. Georgia will face all four of the SEC teams with first-year coaches in Auburn, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. How about that? Uh, I guess South Carolina's facing three of them, so, I mean, whatever. Um, let's see. All right. Two through seven, this is their projected order of finish in the SEC East for Athlon Sports SEC Preview Magazine. They've got Georgia winning the East. At number two, the Florida Gators. Number three, the Missouri Tigers. They've got Missouri finishing third in the SEC East. At fourth, the Kentucky Wildcats finishing fourth. At fifth, at fifth, they have the Tennessee Volunteers. Tennessee Volunteers at fifth. At sixth, they've got your South Carolina Gamecocks. And, of course, at seventh, they have the Vanderbilt Commodores. We're talking about scheduling. Get this. South Carolina's two SEC West opponents, A&M and Auburn, win a combined 14-5 and five in the SEC last season. And I guess I should have told you guys what do they have for each of those teams as far as record projections? So Georgia, they have going 11-2, 8-0 in the SEC. Florida, they've got 9-3, 5-3 in conference. Missouri, they've got 8-4, 4-4 in conference. Kentucky, they have 7-5, 3-5 in conference. Tennessee, they have 6-6, 2-6 six six, six in conference. South Carolina, they have 5-7, 2-6 in the conference. And Vanderbilt, they have 2-10 and 0-8. Oh and in the conference. Now, I just mentioned the verdict for the Gamecocks. Going to read this off. They have South Carolina finishing the 2021 football season with a 5-7 and seven overall record and 2-6 and six in SEC play. Now, 
the verdict. That's their projection. Here's the verdict. Here's what Athlon Sports says about that five and seven prediction. Shane Beamer was a popular hire among fans and former South Carolina players, but the son of legendary coach Frank Beamer has one of the toughest assignments among the 2021 new coaches. The Gamecocks are in the midst of a rebuild after a 2-8 and eight mark last season and dipped into the transfer portal for immediate help on both sides of the ball. An offense that averaged only 23.5 points per game in 2020 needs a quarterback to emerge, and it needs more from a receiving corps lacking proven playmakers. The ground game will be a strength behind running backs Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd. The question marks for Beamer extend to a defense that allowed 36 points per game last season and has holes to fill at every level. Exceeding last year's win total of two is within reach. However, getting to a bowl will require a couple of upsets. So that is their breakdown. Five and seven overall, two and six in the SEC. And I'll tell you guys, Five and seven, I think, is a very, very fair prediction for this football team. Again, you don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. But five and seven overall, two and six even in conference play, is a very fair prediction. Sixth in the SEC East. I know that's going to piss a lot of people off because it's like, oh, Tennessee's a dumpster fire. How could Kentucky finish ahead of you? How could Mizzou finish ahead of you? That's where they've got you. They've got you sixth in the SEC East. My question would turn to, because again, they don't break this down game by game and the schedule and all that. I wonder what two SEC teams they have South kind of beating. Because of course, Vandy's one of them. Who's the other one? Is it Mizzou? Is it Kentucky? Is it Tennessee? Is it Auburn? You know, who is it? Who is it? I mean, I, it's certainly not A&M, Florida, Georgia. You know, it can't be one of those. So, outside of Vandy, I mean, you got to beat somebody else to get to two and six. I just wonder which of the teams they think it's going to be. I wonder which of those teams they believe it's going to be. So, again, overall record, five and seven overall, two and six in conference play, and then you got the Gamecocks finishing sixth in the SECE. So, guys, that's going to do it for the Athlon Sports SEC preview magazine breakdown guys i highly suggest a free plug for athlon sports if you're like me and you love consuming this stuff and you love taking this stuff in and just kind of reading up and even especially learning about the other teams you know what i mean full full uh depth charts and breakdowns and all that i think it's a great piece a great read athlon sports sec preview magazine and that is their take on the gamecocks do you agree do you disagree Leave your thoughts down in the comments, the DMs, wherever. Would love to hear you guys' thoughts when it comes to what Athlon Sports has to say about the Gamecocks. Guys, one quick note before we wrap up the show here today and dive into our interview. Um, As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, but I want to remind you yet again, the only note that I have, very excited. Because like I told you guys, today, 100 days till kickoff. Football content is back. Football content is here to stay. We are literally diving into right now, believe it or not, we are diving into our preseason football content. It's here. It's literally here. Of course, there's still going to be a big focus on Gamecocks baseball with the regionals coming up next weekend, hopefully the Supers after that. But it is time. It is time to go ahead, get into football talk, get into that stuff. 
tomorrow on tomorrow's podcast, we are beginning the 2021 opponent preview series. And if you're unfamiliar with that, I'll fill you guys in what that is. It's exactly how it sounds. I will go through and I will break down each of the 12 opponents that South Carolina will play in this upcoming season. All the way from Eastern Illinois week one to Clemson week 12. It'll be things such as, you know, when and where the game's being played, how many starters do they have returning, what did they do last year, who their head coach is, the prospects of their season this year. Also, a little bit of tidbits on the game. There won't be any predictions or anything, but just kind of a high-level view of the opponent, the game itself, everything you need to know about every team that South Carolina is playing. So again, it's going to be a lot of fun. Those are always a really good time. It gives me the opportunity to get familiar with the opponents. It gives you the guy, you guys, the opportunity to get familiar with the opponents. And again, it's just the start of preseason football, baby. It's really, really good stuff. It's great off-season content. And again, something I feel like you guys are really, really going to enjoy. So again, excited for that to get going tomorrow, the opponent preview series, and that will go all the way through the end of the month of June. And then once we get into July, we're getting into our game-by-game predictions. We're getting into SEC media days. And from there, guys, we are hitting the freaking ground running. Really, we're hitting the ground running right now, to be honest with you. So, again, very excited. Football content is back. Preseason, off-season football content is here. And it is here to stay all the way until we get to kickoff on September. September the 4th. Can you tell folks I am freaking fired up? I've been planning this football content for weeks now, literally for months now, and I'm very, very, very excited to go through this offseason with you all and count down the days to kick off. All right, let's. We got two listener questions and we'll dive in our interview really quickly. Trip underscore zero five. He says, What are their predictions for us? And he's regarding or he's talking about the Athlon Sports Magazine. Like I said, trip five and seven overall, two and six in the SEC. Uh, last question. Only had two questions. Austin G underscore 45 says, what would be a successful season for the wide receiver room this fall? And that's a great question, Austin, honestly, because a much maligned position, so many question marks. What would be a successful season for them? Because I think you have to be realistic when it comes to expectations and understand the limitations of this position in a brand new offensive scheme and with the overall lack of bodies that you have. For me, what do I think would be a successful season? And this is something we'll dive deeper into in July when we do our position unit previews for every single position on the Gamecocks football team. For me, dude, honestly, at this point, as long as a true number one option can emerge, I think you'll do enough in the passing game to have a successful year. I mean, somebody's got to step up as the number one guy. Somebody has to. If you can just have one guy, if nothing else, one guy separate himself and be that number one option, I would deem that as a successful year. And again, I'm trying to keep the expectations very low, to be honest, and very realistic. So if nothing else, find that number one go-to option. You have to do that. If you're going to have any success in the passing game this year, you simply have got to do that. So find wide receiver one. Austin G, great question, great stuff, and I truly, truly do appreciate it. All right, with that being said, guys, let's now move into our interview. A fantastic conversation on the note of Gamecocks football. 
former South Carolina Gamecocks quarterback Tommy Beecher, one of those in the unique fraternity, a former South Carolina quarterback that played under the great legendary Hall of Famer Steve Spurrier. You guys might remember Beecher started that NC State game in 2008. We talked about that. We talked about his entire career at South Carolina. We talked about Coach Spurrier. Much, much more, guys. A legendary combo with Tommy. Really appreciate him taking the time. And an awesome dude, too, by the way. Really, really good stuff from Tommy Beecher on today's show. Again, guys, appreciate you so much tuning in. Thank you so much again for all the love and support. It means the absolute world, guys. Have a great rest of your Thursday. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks quarterback Tommy Beecher. All right, joining us still in Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2005 to 2008. During his career, he completed 30 of 51 passes, 320 yards, and two touchdowns. Most notably, won the starting job under Steve Spurrier and started in the 2008 NC State game at Williams-Brice, you might all recall. Also, had a big pass, by the way, I want to mention the 2006 Clemson game where a lot of backups may have come in, shit down their leg, and who knows, throwing a pick, whatever. He did not do that in South Carolina's big win in 2006. But a man that I'm very, very excited to chat with, because you guys know we've had quarterbacks from the Steve Spurrier era on this show. And as Steven Garcia, as Chris Smelly, as Connor Shaw, as many have referred to, it is a unique fraternity. And anytime you get to chat with somebody that's been in that unique fraternity, it's a pleasure. Tommy Beecher. Former Gamecocks quarterback joining the show. Tommy, appreciate you taking the time. Man. It's a pleasure yeah. to have you on, my friend. Thanks so much for doing this. Chris, man, I'm excited about it. And, and there may have been something dripping down my leg in 2006 <laughs> in that Clemson game, but uh, it all worked out. You know, Kenny McKinley saved me, uh, saved me, and I got to throw a little block in that play as well. So yeah. Good. I think Kenny yeah. saved a lot of South Carolina quarterbacks during his, uh, his time in Columbia. But oh, we'll, yeah. get, we'll get into that in just a second, Tommy. I'm just curious, though, to hear your path to Columbia as a whole because you're from Concord, North Carolina, went to Concord High School. And you got to South Carolina in the fall of 2005. Just talk about your recruitment. What was that like? Because, again, was it Spurrier that got you there, or was it Lou Holtz and the previous staff? How did you end up at South Carolina? Never talked to Lou Holtz uh, in, in high school. So, um, <clears throat> man, we, uh, we had a good junior run uh, at Concord, and I was starting to get some looks. Uh, a lot of D2 schools were, were offering, and uh, I actually committed to Richmond pretty early on. Mm. and um, I remember back in those days on ESPN, I'd see Spurrier's face all the time. He had just been let go by the Redskins, and um, he jumped into the recruiting game really late, and so most quarterbacks, good quarterbacks, had already committed D1, and um, anyway, he called, and uh, man, when Spurrier calls as a quarterback, you kind of drop what you're doing, and uh, anyway, I committed almost uh, immediately. We won the state championship my senior year. He told me on, he, he called and congratulated me the day that we won it, and said, you know, I told our staff I was going to offer you if you guys won the state championship. Here's your offer. Um, and then a couple of days later, I, I made the commitment. Had never even considered South Carolina, never been on campus, never been in williams Price. Um, so really committed there to go play for Spurrier. Um, so, yeah, it was it was interesting. I, I remember getting calls from Spurrier in high school, like during class and feeling like I was the man and uh, actually walking <laughs> out of a couple of classes to take them, you know. So uh, anyway, you know, he he brought in Kay Thompson. Mm. shortly after I committed. Um, That's a name right there. A lot of people don't remember. I remember specifically in the spring game, Cade Thompson tearing it up. Yeah, you know, Cade, Cade was a great player, and he yeah. ended up transferring shortly after being there. But um, anyway, I was a little disappointed when they brought Cade on, too, just because I knew I was going to have to 
be competing. Now, Blake Mitchell was there, and, uh, uh, you know, we may get to him in a little bit, but he was a stud. I had so much respect for Blake and, yeah. and having to go through that transition and, and stepping up like he did. So, anyway, that, that's the background. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm curious. Again, you talk about Coach Spurrier, of course, and, and that relationship, and I'm sure there's so many layers to it, and I'm sure it evolved as you were on campus and competed for the job and eventually won the job at one point. What were those first interactions with Steve Spurrier like? Because, again, he's he is very, very tough on his quarterbacks. It's well noted. He demands perfection. He wants the absolute most out of you guys. What were just the first interactions with him? Was he a little bit different in recruiting versus when you got there? Is he just – the same dude all the time, just classic Steve Spurrier. No, he, he was the same. I mean, he was transparent. You knew what you were going to get. I, to understand my relationship with Spurrier, from, from my perspective, you'd have to understand my relationship with my high school coach, uh, Easy Smith, kind of a legend in the, in the area I grew up on, uh, grew up in. You know, Concord hadn't won a state championship in, gosh, 75 years before we did it my senior year. And uh, Coach Smith had always been a, a running um coach you know didn't 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 want to throw the ball at all thought there was three things that could happen bad when you threw the ball and uh, only one bad thing happened when you're running that was a fumble but um anyway he didn't really you know so coach smith didn't care how i got the job done i mean it was you know as long as the pass was completed to the receiver you know i, I never had in high school considered you know i might want to throw this ball between two defenders as opposed to just you know having a reception to a to a receiver so you know, I came in a little bit behind um, and, you know, for a full year, Spurrier worked on my throwing motion with me. I mean, I, I had a wind up. I was a baseball player, pitcher, you know, and so I had a wind up and, and you know, he really taught me the importance of getting the ball out as quick as you can. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know that just because Spurrier got late, uh, you know, kind of got late to the recruiting game, how much he knew that he was going to have to work with me. Um, and, you know, some of the other quarterbacks that he recruited after I me, mean, you know, Smelly and Garcia and Shaw after, you know, Shaw and I never crossed paths. But, um, you know, a lot of those guys, they had they had quarterback coaching. You know, I mean, they knew what they were doing. I, I, even Cade, Cade when, he, when Cade came in, he had a quick release, knew how to read defense. Um, so anyway, I don't know that Spurrier knew what he was getting into when he recruited me. Um, but, man, I, you know, I, I just kept trying to grind it out. Um, he's transparent. Um, he, he, I think he would admit, he, you know, he's a bit of a jackass towards the quarterbacks. He holds us to a high standard. Um, right. So, you know, our, our room of, of guys maybe felt a Spurrier a little bit differently than the rest of the guys did. But, um, man, what a genius. Um, I learned a ton from him. Um, I didn't have it quite up here for, for him. But, um, anyway, it was all good. Well, which is shocking to hear you say because you're like a brainiac, right? Like, you're a really smart guy. Like, like in the classroom, I'm saying. I mean, I'm not, you know, whatever. But. You're a really smart guy. I, 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 come on, give yourself some credit. I, I feel like you're a pretty well, smart guy. Engineering, uh, yeah, actually, right? And what you, uh, didn't you do engineering? Actuary mathematics. Actually, see, I don't even exactly. So I'm just a <laughs> humble podcaster, man. No need for those terms. No, I, I'm curious back to the Spurrier thing, though, because again, what I think what's interesting, I'd love to get your insight on this because I, I wonder with Spurrier, is, is he more in, in coaching? And I'm sure he touches on everything because the mental side of playing that position is just, of the utmost importance. I mean, if you can't read a defense, you cannot play quarterback. Does he more so focus on the mechanical side of things, the mental side of things, both? Does it depend on the guy and I guess what they need? I think what's interesting again with you is, you know, you said in the beginning of the show, you know, pre-show that, you know, you played sparingly, but you obviously talk about he worked with you tirelessly on your throwing motion. And some people may think, oh, Spurrier, you know, some coaches, they're just going to touch the, the starter or maybe just the starter in the back. But like he was – very hands-on with you two, and it sounds like probably every single quarterback on the roster, even the guy 
that maybe may never even see the field. Like, like what did he most focus on, would you say? Or was it a mix of both? Did it depend on the guy, like his overall coaching style? Because obviously he's a quarterback guru and a quarterback genius. Yeah, I think, it, I think it probably depended on the guy. You know, with me, he had to work on my throwing motion. I had too much of a wind-up. Um, Cade came in, you know, the ball was set on his shoulder. It was ready to go, you know, and so he worked more on, on the mental side. Um, you know, and actually, now that I say that, he, he, I had more work to do than those other guys. Um, so, I mean, all of us spent the same amount of time reading defenses, you know, preparing for a game. Um, you know, I, 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 you know I, I've got a cool – kind of cool perspective because I, you know, I transferred my last year to go up to Liberty and they needed a quarterback. I ended up finding out I needed to compete for that. I thought I was going to walk into the starting job up there and, and they had a guy that played in the NFL, Mike Brown, a uh, good, good friend of mine. We haven't connected in a while yet, but um, anyway, I got up there and I, I had to <clears throat> learn the offense and compete for the starting job where I thought it was going to be pretty easy. And, you know, Brandon Streeter was our quarterback coach um, who's now uh, at Clemson and, um, so Danny Rocco was the head coach there, and he was a 64,000-foot view type of guy. I mean, a motivational guy, but did not get into the right. weeds. Spurrier is about the exact opposite on the offensive side of the ball, especially with the quarterbacks. I mean, he he was in every quarterback meeting. Um, and, and, and man, you, uh, you, you, you were prepared by the time that you were playing in the games. I mean, he, he, he made sure that you understood it. The problem for me was – the game moved too fast, man. You know, I, I could look at, you know, my major, actual mathematics or whatever. That, that stuff came easy to me. The problem is when I got in between the lines, the game was too fast. And as an SEC quarterback, man, you the game has to come at you slow. Right. And I, I'm kind of a light bulb guy. I mean, as soon as things click, right. I'll, I'll have a confidence. It never really clicked for me at South Carolina. Um, and it took a simpler offense at Liberty with Brandon Streeter leading it. For, for things to really click and for me to feel confident whenever I stepped in between the lines. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I hope that answers your question, man. He, he's, yeah. I mean, he's all of the above. I mean, he's a yeah. QB guru. I mean, he spent 90% of his time with the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So, um, really cool. Well, yeah, Tommy, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, your first two years, especially just to get your perspective as far as being a part of it, you know, what was going on with South Carolina football, the excitement, the intensity. Again, you get there fall of 05, and I'm, I remember I was at the Thursday night game against UCF, and the place was just about to boil, o- boil yeah, over with excitement. And then fire, huh? you know, yeah. Mitchell Whiteside, with, and it just went bonkers. And obviously that uh-huh. 2005 season with all the first, you know, winning in Knoxville, beating Florida – you know, going on the road to Arkansas, people forget that game, how big of a win that was. And then you think of 2006, you know, beating Clemson. I guess how – I feel like that was a really – like you said, you felt like the man when Steve Spurrier called you and you were in class in high school. That had to be a really cool time just to be a South Carolina football player. Like with all the excitement and all the positives and, you know, everything going on, the vibes were extremely high at that point in what Coach Spurrier was, was building early in his tenure. Yeah, so so my first time on campus was the spring game of uh, 2005, and I don't know if you were there, Chris, but I was um, at that. I one, talked, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to a lot of fans, and and they had I don't know the highest turnout for that spring game probably ever. Yeah, it was and, like 34,000, uh, I think. I, I know that's crazy. I remember that, but I, I, yeah. I not to cut you off, but just to give people some perspective on the excitement. I think the first play of the spring game was oh, a yeah. pass, and that made people like literally stand up out of their seats yeah like they were that yeah. excited just to see kind of throwing the ball i mean all right continue yeah, oh yeah no no, no i i but I, you know the um as a quarterback recruit you know i got to talk to a lot of people mm-hmm. there and man there was what what they kept saying was man there is an excitement here that we've never felt before mm-hmm. and, and we weren't even coming off of a great season but the, you know that was the type of energy that spurrier got 
And um, I, I remember one of the first meetings that Spurrier had with us as a team while I'm on campus, an actual player, um, he talked about the culture that he was going to have to kind of upend, right? I mean, we, we had been used to, um, to losing. And um, so he had, a, you know, a guys, you know, a group of guys, legacy guys that had been there for a long time that we had to recalibrate and expect to win. And I, and, you know, I think if you asked him, it, it probably took us a couple of years to get there. But we felt the momentum getting there, you know. And then, um, you know, Shane Beamer came in a couple of years after that. Um, he, I was there for two years while he was there. Um, little side story. I wrote him a notice as soon as he got um, the head coaching job there. Didn't think he would respond. Wrote me back on a long letter. It, it, you know, I, I'm so excited. My, I guess what the point is, is my generation is excited again about Gamecock football the way that we started to feel when Spurrier brought on. So I'm excited to see what Shane um, can do for us here. So. For sure. And we'll definitely get into Coach Beamer and everything with current day kind of football. I want to jump to the 2006 Clemson game. Again, we talked about in the beginning. <laughs> I, I'm really curious because, again, rivalry game on the road, all the pressure. And certainly at that point, you know, being from Concord, North Carolina, maybe coming in, you weren't quite as familiar. At that point, you definitely understand what kind of Clemson meant and everything. And of course, again, you're on the road, tight ball game. You know, South Carolina hadn't beaten Clemson since 2001. I mean, it had been forever. Um, but yeah, 2006 on the road, Blake Mitchell gets knocked out and you come into that ball game. Just talk about the emotions. Again, you're always ready. You know, you're always ready to go and everything, but your number gets called. It's what is it? It's a wide receiver screen right? or like, what, what was it? What was the play? All right, just walk me through the entire thing. Cause I, I remember you kind of like drop back and look and look, and just flip it over to Kenny. Like it's almost like a broken play. But the great Kenny McKinley goes for like 20 yards. You throw a block. I mean, just walk me through that entire sequence of events and what's going on through your head. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sitting there tooling my thumbs, uh, thumbs in the sideline, man. Don't think there's a chance. Blake Mitchell is one of the toughest guys that, that I've ever had a chance to meet. I mean, I, he hardly ever got knocked out of a game. But he was scrambling, lands on the ball, of all things, and knocks the air out of him. And he can't find his breath. I mean, that's, that's what happened. Mm. And, you know, beach, uh, you know, Spurrier, Beecher, Beecher, you're getting in there or whatever. So uh, we, I, I can't remember if we called, I think we called a timeout. And uh, we brought all the guys to the side. And I thought, Chris, I thought for sure it was going to be a little running play. I mean, I, I, this is a guy that's never had a significant down. Was, was that your first collegiate pass? No, no, I had, I think Louisiana Lafayette. I had okay. some, okay. Some, yeah, there were gotcha. some, there were some throws. Yeah, you went just, just, to, just for perspective. Yeah, you, you are correct, but you went two for two on the year for 19 yards and a touchdown, by the way. So, yeah. Yeah. Charge your career off. Charge your career off. Yeah, high. couple, couple th throws. <laughs> so I thought, I mean, we were in the red zone. We were almost in the red zone. Um, and we were driving. We were down 28 14, I think, at the time. Um, you'll have to, you'll have to check me, but, um, thought for sure I was going to come in and hand the ball off. And uh, he calls this Y7 pass, man. And it's one of the more complicated, you know, passing concepts that we had. Sidney Rice was going to be over the middle. If it was a cover three, he was totally going to be covered up um, running a post route. Um, and if they split, if the safety split, I was going to hit Sidney right over and, you know, hit a touchdown. Unfortunately for me, I dropped the snap. I, I'm, in, I'm in the shotgun. They've got the Terminator defensive lineman. His name's escaping me um, back then. James um, Adams? Clemson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so anyway, you know, I'm sitting there and the shotgun ball comes right through my hand, sits me in the chest, goes right down to the floor. I, I can't get my eyes up to see the safeties fast enough. And so my, my first gut reaction was, I'm, I better scramble a little bit. So I'd run, I'm running back and forth. And then, you know, out of the corner of my eye, I see Kenny, Kenny, Kenny in, the, in, the, uh, <clears throat> in the flat, throw it to him. He reverses field. 
you may remember this, and it, it gives me the opportunity to go throw a block. And I, I try to throw a block. I almost whiff, but um, it uh, anyway. And then, thankfully, I, I look back at the sideline, and Blake Mitchell is running back in. He's taking me off. But uh, we went on to win that game, 31-28. Jad Dean missed a field goal later in the game, and uh, and we won. And, I, I, oh, man, that was that was an awesome experience. You know, the, um, the team was so supportive, you know, um, you know, just being able to contribute into that rivalry was was awome. That's the only down I ever played in the Clemson uh, South Carolina rivalry. So honestly, were you nervous? I mean, did you go in? you're like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Oh God. Yeah. I was so nervous. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. On the road I, I too. Yeah, yeah fortunately just... in football, um, everything else becomes fuzzy around you except yeah. the eleven verse eleven guys. I mean yeah, yeah. that's that's what I remember from that. I mean, a big cloud of you know orange. And, uh, man, it was cool to be, uh, be a part of it. No, for sure. That South kind of Clemson rivalry, man. That was a great win. Obviously, great victory. You guys go on that 2006 year to win the Liberty Bowl over Houston. Um, obviously, a great year. I, I want to jump a course because I think the thing people are most interested to hear about, Tommy, is that 2008 season and the preseason and you winning the job and starting that game against NC State. Walk me through again. You go into fall camp that year, and it was a competition between you, Chris Smelly, a youngster by the name of Steven Garcia had just gotten on campus, you know, and I, I think there may have been some others. I think, uh, yeah, mainly you three guys, but just right. talk, yeah, That's talk right. about that competition. What clicked for you? Because I, I think it was, uh, was Taylor Rank your roommate? Is that right? Yeah. So Taylor yeah. Rank, Ryan suck up. Uh, yeah. So when I, so when I, yep. and so when I had Rank on, not to cut you off, but when I had Rank on, we talked about this and he told me, he was like, dude, Tommy was just spinning it beautifully. Like you've, Fair and square, flat out, just beat out the other guys, won the job. But just what clicked for you in that preseason? Like, what do you feel like was clicking that gave you the nod, that gave Steve Spurrier the confidence to name you QB1 going in that NC State game? So, um, yeah, the, the competition actually started in the spring before the fall uh, fall camp. And um, anyway, uh, Spurrier was always one to, to give us, uh, you know, every quarterback a fighting chance. And so, um, you know, here, you know, Smelly, Garcia, and I, had developed a great friendship and we were competing with one another, you know, and um, it was one of those weird things that you want to, you want what's best for you, but you also want what's best for your buddies and uh, whoever was going to win, we were going to support. So, um, man, we busted it that spring. And um, anyway, I ended up having a spring, a good spring um, and especially a good spring game. I don't think Smelly had a great spring game. It may have been a little bit different had he had a better spring game, but after, after the spring game, Spurrier called me in and said, Hey, you know, we need to, we need to establish a starting quarterback uh, for summer um, in fall camp and, uh, and you're going to be the guy. And, um, so I found out the day of that spring game that I'd won the job and he made an announcement shortly after that. And, uh, and yeah, man, I, uh, <clears throat> I had a good spring. I had a good fall camp. Um, I was never truly confident heading into that NC state game. Um, and I think rank's probably right. I, you know, I had, I had some good days, had some bad days. Um, but, um, I knew within myself, it may not have been, you know, you may not be able to see it externally, but I, there was just something that hadn't clicked quite yet. And I, I didn't have the confidence that I needed. Um, and, uh, but man, what a, what a privilege to be the starting quarterback for six months on campus. The other thing that I, I you know, now as a 35 year old man, uh, compared to being an 18 year old, 19 year old, 20 year old kid was, man, I cared way too much what other people thought, you know, uh, Garcia, I think was number two rated, you know, dual threat quarterback coming out of high school. If I get that, if I get that right, Smelly was a big name. The fans wanted those two guys 
to play to play and um you know i felt it it it, it shouldn't have impacted me but it did and uh so you know it's something a quarterback i'm sure has to deal with all the time is being confident having this have the game slow down um so man, i mean i was super nervous heading into that nc state game um and i in fact i got giardia um you may be looking at me and saying what is that it, it it's like a um it's like an infection. I lost 20 pounds before that NC State game. Now, the good thing is, is Giardia only attacks like the fat in your body. I was absolutely shredded. I mean, it was it, the the doctor was like, if we could pull this up, a lot of people would take it for pool season. I mean, I, I lost just bad weight, but it, it, you know, it was, you know, I was 20 pounds less than where I should have probably been headed into that game. And um, uh, anyway, I'll never forget. We had our first three plays and offense were great. And then we called kind of a Ralph uh, pattern. Uh, it's a good, good cover two beater. Um, and I drop back. I know exactly where I'm going. Mo Brown's running a post route. If I hit him in stride, he, he, he scores a touchdown. I throw it five yards behind him, intercepted. And then, and then that, I mean, that's, that was super deflating for me. And then, um, and then obviously uh, didn't have much of a game after that, but man, what, what a team we had. We won, you know, 34 nothing. It you know, wasn't even close. I'm 1-0 and against Russell Wilson. He's married to Sierra. I went, went in Super Bowls, and I'm working in commercial real estate in Charlotte. So, But uh, but my clients love, to, love for me to tell that story. So, now, Tommy, I'm curious, back to kind of backtracking, just when your name QB1, again, there's a difference in competing for the job and being the man. Like, like talk yeah. about the pressure, because, again, it clicks immediately. It's like, all right, you're the man now. Everybody's looking. Everybody in that huddle, everybody in that team's looking towards you how much different was it for you personally again going from just kind of being a guy competing for the starting job to being the dude yeah um you know after that spring game people go home and the next time you see the team really is june um to uh to start summer workouts and if i'm being honest the most comfortable i was ever around the team was during summer workouts i mean i i, I you you could ask anybody my work ethic was not something that I was ever bashful about. I mean, I, I, I busted it. I mean, just like everybody else did, but I, I, uh, even when I wasn't the starting quarterback, I felt like I, I was a leader, um, you know, at five 30 in the morning on, on Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, but we're in the indoor facility and Tuesdays and Thursdays running the, you know, the stairs and the, the hundreds and fifties and, and all that stuff. So that was my first opportunity to kind of establish myself as the, as the leader. And that, that seemed natural. Um, and, um, you know, and then the students start coming back during fall camp and then, it, and then it gets cool, right. Cause you're walking through campus and, and people are like, man, you know, that's a starting quarterback and, and all that stuff. But, um, I, I, I was fortunate in that he named me then because it gave me two months buffer in June and July to mm-hmm. lead the guys, um, during, during summer ball. I mean, summer ball is important. I mean, no one else is in Columbia. Um, I'm sure it's like this for any college town. I mean, you're, you're with your guys and, um, and so taking lead, you know, uh, on, you know, past skeleton that we, we would try to have, you know, three or four nights a week and, and all that stuff. Um, it, it's part of the reason Spurrier wanted to have establish a starting quarterback at that point, because, you know, you're, you're relatively un you know, unorganized um, and you need somebody to organize that group. And that, that was kind of my role during the, during the summer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it completely different, obviously. Right. Um, but if there was ever a time for me to make it feel natural or, uh, you know, organic, it was during the summer that that was going to happen. So now that NC state game back to that again, you're at peace with it. It is what it is, right? Things happen for a reason. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason, but it was that game. You threw four picks in that game, right? It was, was oh, it yeah. four. Yeah. Yeah. I, it may, I just, have been a, may have been a record. 
I, I'm curious. Now, I, I think uh, nobody will ever talk like what Nathan Peterman did with the Bills. I think he's like seven. But, I mean, I know it's different levels. <laughs> but I just – when I think of interceptions, I think of Nathan Peterman. But, no, I, I'm just – what is Steve Spurrier saying during this game and then, like, immediately after the game? Like, I, I can't even imagine what Coach Spurrier is saying. Fortunately, I didn't have to talk to Spurrier after the game because I, I got a concussion in the third quarter and was And, and was I done. definitely wanted um, to ask you about that because you got your yeah. – Bell, saying you got your bell rung is putting it very kindly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it was a gradual progression for, for Spur having to, I, I think internally he was probably weighing, all right, how do I not kill this guy's confidence? Mm-hmm. I need him to go back out there, but also hold him accountable to how he's, how he's been playing. So, you know, I, I brought it up early, but I think the first pass play uh, that we had was, a little screen to Kenny. He got 10 yards. And I think we, we ran a quarterback draw, which uh, I actually, I specifically asked for. I mean, nothing makes me feel more in a game than running the football and, and getting hit. And right. so I think we gained another 10 yards right after that. And uh, so we were, I mean, we were cruising. The place was on fire. We had, you know, NC State in town. Um, it was loud. And then uh, another couple of play, I think a running play or two happened. And then we call you know, that, that post play to, to Mo and he's wide open. And I just miss him. And I remember, uh, you know, Spurrier on the sidelines looking at me and saying, hey, you just missed him, you know, um, not, I mean, I'm the right, made the right read, just missed him. After the second, and, and at this point, Chris, I've got to tell you, I've kind of blacked out what happened. Right. So I don't even, I'd have to go back and watch the game to figure out what happens at this point. But I, I do remember some of the conversations with Spurrier, you know, after that second pick, he, his, you know, his agitation is starting to pick up a little bit. It's like, come on. Well, you know, we worked on this stuff. Third one and the fourth one, I mean, he, he's probably so pissed. He's like, let's get Tommy out of this game. And fortunately for him, I got a concussion and, and Smelly uh, goes in there and, and, and does a great job for us and, and we win the game. But, um, but yeah, I, I, um, I, I, you know, it was on me. Uh, I was prepared, uh, knew what was going on. And just, I, I knew stepping in between the white lines, that it, it, you know, I needed something to go right pretty quick for me to, to get the confidence that I needed. Unfortunately, one of the first things that happened was interception. I, I just couldn't recover. Yeah. Now I have to, I have to put a little plug in here. I got home later that night. Um, I can't move my left shoulder. And in fact, my mom has to dress me the next couple of days because uh, I can't pick up my left arm. And uh, I had a concussion. I was ruled out like almost immediately from the yeah. second game. I think it was against Vanderbilt. Um, but I'll never forget. I get um, I get home and uh, I'm, I get on Facebook. Facebook was a lot bigger back then than, than it is for me now. Right. But I've got you know eight thousand friend friend requests. You know national television, all that stuff. But there was a note from Michael Heenig. He was a quarterback for Mississippi State, and he had thrown four or five interceptions in the opening game the year before on a Thursday night. And uh, he wrote me this note that uh, that stayed with me forever. It was like, hey, man, you keep your head up, whatever. And I actually got to reconnect with him about eight months ago and got to tell him how much that actually meant to me and, and all that stuff. So, uh, anyway, those things happened, and um, it wasn't what I wanted. But, man, what an experience, you know. That's cool, man, the Keenick thing. It, like I said, the, yeah. the unique fraternity at South Carolina, but also just SEC quarterbacks in general. You guys all get oh, yeah. You guys all yeah. get the the grind you go through. I, I'm curious again. You go through that 2008 season, and obviously we know what happened after that. It was a battle between, and I mean, I would agree with you. You know, fans are very vocal, and have, it's even worse now with Twitter and social media and all that. I mean, right, right. we didn't have yeah. all that when you played. Um, but you know, fans pull for that top. Pro, you know, the backup quarterback's obviously always the most popular guy, and yeah. when especially yeah. when you get a blue chipper, or you get a four star, a five star, like they want him to live up to the hype. And, of course, I think Steven Garcia 
was definitely that guy. I mean, I remember 2008 against Georgia. And I'm sure you recall this. You know, Georgia was number one, and people were chanting, Steven Garcia. Like, they wanted Garcia in there, no matter how Chris Smelly yeah. played. It didn't matter. I'm curious, though, from your perspective, one of the games that just sticks out to me, and I, I think you being a quarterback, even though, I, you know, I don't think you played in this game, just watching this, you had to be mind-blown. I was at the 2008 Arkansas game in which Steve Spurrier literally every single play rotated Chris Smelly and Steven Garcia. One of the funniest things I talked to Garcia, and I mean, you know, Garcia is as genuine as they come. He's not going to, he's going to shoot you straight. He's set on these airwaves. He's like, I told Coach Spurrier, if you ever do that again, I'm transferring. (laughs) Just flat out told him. Like, was that, how wild was that to you to sit there and just, I mean, you know, because only Steve Spurrier could get away with that because you can, you can talk about, hey, you can't get in a rhythm. You can point out all the reasons why it won't work, and South Carolina ended up winning that game, by the way, thanks to guys like Jared Cook and a great mm-hmm. defense, Eric Norwood. But how crazy was that for you just to watch that and see those two guys interchanging in and out, and you're like, God, I'm actually kind of glad that's not me. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I, that, that, was, that was what my comment was going to be, just <laughs> – fortunate it wasn't me and you know I I, I had it, it, we knew what was going to happen prior to the game I mean Spurrier had, yeah. had kind of set it up and uh and gosh being the third string that, that was about the only time that I wanted to be the third string quarterback because I didn't have to worry about how that was gonna how that dynamic was going to play out and so um gosh I, you know I, I don't really remember the game to be honest with you um I I do remember the awkwardness of sitting right next to Spurrier and waiting for Garcia to run off and Smelly to run on and just do it at back. And it gave, it gave, it gave a Spurrier the opportunity to talk with the quarterback uh, right. that's on the sideline through the next play. And uh, anyway, they, they grinded. And like you said, I know we won the game, but I don't remember the ins and outs of, uh, you know, the plays or anything like that, but no, I, that's not, that's not a situation that I would be in. I mean, especially because you don't feel like you're, you've established yourself. And, and, and if there's ever a quantitative, metric that you could throw to deciding your next quarterback for the next game it would be that type of situation where they're facing the exact same defense you know sharing the exact same number of snaps Mm -hmm. um so anyway the the pressure those guys had on that game is probably more than than the other games where they know they've been established or set as second string quarterback so Mm -hmm. yeah now I, I gotta ask you about Steven Garcia and somebody you obviously know very well you're in the same quarterback room and listen I'm I'm not trying to uh you know, draw conclusions about your personal life. But I feel like when I think of Steven Garcia and Tommy Beecher, those are two polar opposite human beings. Uh, when I think of Tommy Beecher, I'm thinking of, you know, mathematics. You talked about, you know, your degree, very smart. Garcia, kind of a maniac. Not saying he's done. He's crazy. I love the guy. Freaking love Steven Garcia. We had him on the airwaves a couple of times. Awesome, awesome dude. But all over the place. Like, what was it like? Because it's funny, we had, you know, Mike Davis on, the OG Mike Davis. I told you when I talked yeah. to him, you know, that was Garcia's roommate he was talking to. He's like, I was his roommate. Yeah. And he's like, I had to look him dead in the eye at times and be like, Steven, you cannot do that. You are the starting yeah. quarterback at the University of South Carolina. Stop it. Like, yeah. <laughs> what was that like? Because, again, like you said, you want to do well. You want your teammates to do well. You want the team to do well. What was it like managing, especially a young Garcia, who is a freshman we all know, was a loose cannon. Again, I love Garcia because he is just genuinely who he is, and he's not going to change for anybody. You have to respect that in any human being. But that had to pretty be a pretty fun dynamic. I mean, you know this guy has 
all the talent in the world. He's God-given. I mean, literally one of the most talented quarterbacks I'd argue to ever come to the University of South Carolina. But yeah. Yeah. he was a firecracker, man. That's no other way to put it. Like, the dude was insane. Dude, Chris, I, I thought I, – I figured some of these questions are going to be about Garcia. And if, if it was any of any other buddy of mine, I would have had to call and ask permission to tell some of the stories. But I, I know Steven's going to be totally cool with me sharing some stories with you. I mean, he's just he, – he's genuine. Um Man, he he had the type of personality that you need for a for a and guys rallied around. By the way, guys rallied around. There's no question. Every time he'd come in the game, you would just see the team kind of just you know this is our guy. We're going to battle. Yeah, I've got so many uh, areas of respect for for Garcia and his leadership. The type of he's a different type of leader, right? But man, no one was more energetic than the team when when Garcia got in the game, and and you're anxious to see what he's going to do. But I, so I'll, I'm going to back up, man. The first time I ever met him, based well, besides recruiting, um, he was my roommate. He was he 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 slept right next to us in in, in West Quad. Um, he showed up uh, in the spring, um, and I had no idea he was moving in uh, to the room right next to me. And I get back from uh, Christmas break, and uh, there's a SpongeBob SquarePants um, uh, towel in our bathroom. And I look in the, the drain and there's this long hair everywhere. Like, I mean, the, the dude shed like nobody's business. And so I'm like, who, who is, who moved in? You know, no one was in there at the time. And then Garcia walks in several hours later. I'm, I'm, Chris, I'm not even kidding. He shows up to school with a small like backpack of clothes and a SpongeBob square pants. And that is it. No bed sheets, nothing. I mean, nothing was in there. And I was like, dude, what are you going to do? And he's like, I got my dad's credit card. I'll, I'll fill, I'll fill it up tomorrow or something. So Dude, I'm, and, and then and then he had one of the nicest dorm rooms ever. I mean, he had a huge. I mean, I, I don't know how big those West Squad dorm room walls were, but he had, he bought a TV that covered the ent- entire thing. You know, we he had a Wii back then. We played a ton of Tiger Woods golf, PlayStation Two, I think, and all that stuff. But um, you know that. So that was my first um, my first time ever really talking to him. But man, we we developed a cool friendship in there. And you're you're exactly right. We could not be more polar opposite on on things that we take seriously. Um, and, uh, but man, he was so, you know, athletic and so fun to watch. And, um, you know, I'll never forget David Reeves, you know, by the time that, that we, we found out that Steven was, was gonna be a big time player for us him looking me in the eye and say, Hey, you know, now that you're not playing Tommy, one of the best things that you could do for the team is keep your eye on Steven and make sure he doesn't get into too much trouble. And so, you know, I, I hope that he would describe me as kind of the big brother type. Now, I did a piss poor job, a lot of it, because, man. <laughs> I was uh, going to say, Tommy, know, where were you, man? I know, where were I you? Know. Well, well, just think just think about had I not been there, Chris. Um, That's a good point. You know, that, that is a very good first, point. That first week, he gets the pissing in public uh, ticket. You know, um, he's on my intramural basketball team that I throw together. Uh, you know, this is a good story. Uh, he, uh, it's, it's pissing rain outside. We're in the championship of our intramural basketball um, league. Garcia comes in soaking wet and he's like, he's fidgety. I mean, like something's, something's wrong. And so we're warming up before the game. And he was like, man, I just, I just keyed this guy, this car, this guy's car out there. And, um, do you remember this story? Oh right, yeah. 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 Very vividly. Yes. So it's, you know, you know, the Strom Thurmond, there's very few parking spots that are right there close to the door or whatever. And so Steven was waiting for one of those to, to pop up and this professor drives in right in front of him and takes the spot or whatever. And so he has to park far away and he's on his way back. He, he keys the car or whatever. And, uh, and, and, 
you know, he comes in and he plays great in the same real basketball game and then goes about his business. And then, you know, a couple of days later, he, he gets into trouble for that whole type of thing. And uh, so, you know, it, it, those things, you know, Stephen, I think you would admit, um, couldn't get out of the way of himself occasionally. And that was one of those those deals. Spurrier made him uh, cut his hair. He's probably told you that story. Oh, yeah. um, he was not thrilled uh, gosh, with that. He was not dude. thrilled. I, I I saw him after that happened. I mean, it was like a bob cut. I mean, it was horrible. I was like, did he make him cut it because of that, or just in general? No, no, no. That was just that was just because he was so recognizable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and um, you know, such a you know such a figure on campus. I mean, it was it was it wasn't fair to him uh, to not get into trouble the way he was the attention that he was that he was getting. And uh, so, but anyway, man, I I. I of course, I wasn't there. I'd left to go to Liberty, but man, I, I was so proud in that Alabama game. He goes nineteen for twenty-one. I think, um, oh, yeah. dude. Uh, so anyway, uh, he and I, he and I stay in touch. Uh, he asks about the family all the time, and uh, consider him a, a really good friend and someone that has we've I've battled with together. So it's it's really cool. Yeah, great dude, great human being. Tommy, you, you talk about Liberty. I'm curious. I'd love to hear your perspective and just kind of your experience there. You, you make the decision to transfer, and I think a lot of people probably forgot. Heck, I forgot about that. But you transfer there, battle for the job. Just real quick, talk about that. I mean, obviously, again, you, you want to go to pursue playing time and you know get your opportunity on the field. But looking back on that decision, right decision, your experience there overall. Yeah, um, man, I was done with – you know, that, that last year um, – I need to, I obviously needed to graduate. So I, I spent a semester not playing football and uh, battled whether or not I was done completely. So this was 2000, I guess, fall or excuse me, spring of 2008. I wasn't totally convinced I was going to play. My parents really wanted me to have better closure to my career. Um, and had had they not really, um, you know, pushed it, I probably would have been done. But anyway, we um, – I opened it up, I opened up my recruitment and there was, there were several teams that called um, and Liberty was one of them. They had a, a really good quarterback lefty named Brock Smith that w- had just graduated and a really solid team coming back. And so they, they weren't, sh- you know, Br- Mike Brown at the time was a freshman. They weren't sure how he was going to step in and, and, and play. And um, so they, they called me and um, I got there and like I said, had to battle for it. Mike was, Mike was a hell of a player. And um so, uh, but it was great closure. I think we ended up going eight and three that year. Um, I may have led the country in completion percentage. Um, wow. we, you know, it was, it was interesting. We, um, Mike was, Mike was so athletic and, uh, would play receiver until we got really close to the goal line where they would put him in a quarterback to, to run, you know, we had, you know, more variety, um, with him at quarterback. And so, he uh, he got to finish off a lot of the drives, but man, I, I had a blast getting to know the guys on that team, and um, it's cool. It, you know, it's cool now because people want to hear you know perspectives of different coaching staffs and different schemes and, and all that stuff. And, and, and like I, I kind of touched on it earlier, but um, you know the biggest the biggest difference between Spurrier, I think, and Brandon Streeter's philosophy were, you know, Spurrier would he wants quarterback to get up to the line and say, okay, how can I make the biggest play possible here, mm. where. Streeter was kind of on the opposite side of it. It was like, you know, I knew that if, if we had a three by one, um, you know, passing concept, three receivers on one side, one on the other, and the one receiver had inside leverage, soft coverage, I was going to throw a three step out route every single time. Mm. I mean, he kind of took the thinking out of the game for the quarterbacks in, in a lot of ways. So, you know, I'd bust a, an out route, um, you know, not, didn't have to think about it. And so it was, um, 
it was just different. I mean, you don't have the, you don't have the, you have more dinking and dunking uh, in the, in the Liberty office than you did in, in the South Carolina offense. But it, 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 it was, it was a big relief from a complexity perspective for me. And it slowed the game down. And I'd say probably three or four games into that season, things started to click and, and we had a great year and, and, it, and I'm so thankful that I did that. I, uh, it was great closure for, for my career. The funny thing about Liberty was I had already graduated. Mm. So Matt Liner, <clears throat> he got a bunch of pub on ESPN about taking a ballroom class, uh, you know, for his last semester there. You may or may not remember that, but um, I, I enrolled, but did not take a step in any classes. I mean, like, because it didn't matter. I mean, right, I, right. I had a, I have a, I have a 0.00 GPA at Liberty. And I don't even know if they'd let me back to the door. Um, <laughs> if I, if I came knocking, um, I just played football and I, I got, I'd wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning and, and go to the football field and, and do my thing. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I've developed awesome relationships with guys over there too. And so it was good closure. Yeah. Sure. Tommy, I, I want to highlight really quickly for people who may have forgotten, like I said, at Liberty, you went 154 for 227, 67.8. We'll call it 68 completion percentage. Threw for 1,700 yards, nine TDs, just five picks. So good year. You had a good year. Very, very good year. Yeah. yeah it was fun. Like you said, great closure indeed. Before we got to here, Tommy, of course, I got to ask you, of course, everybody wants to talk about Shane Beamer. And he gets the yeah. job, the head coach. And, we, of course, last season, the craziness with COVID, we go through a coaching change. We go through the coaching search. And I know you and I would both agree, of course, and, and I, I was able, I was fortunate enough to talk to a lot of your former teammates and guys during that era and guys who played for Shane Beamer, under Shane Beamer, no Shane Beamer. We're all happy he got the opportunity. You know, South Carolina, I think, thinking outside of the box, not going with the cookie cutter, Hugh Freeze, Billy Napier, all the names that were kind of flying around. I'm really glad. And again, I talked to your former teammate just last week or two weeks ago, Andy Boyd. We talked about, yeah. we went and got our guy. Maybe this hire wouldn't have made sense for, this team or that, but they're not us. You know, the University of South Carolina is unique. There's a unique challenge and getting a guy in there like Shane Beamer, who has built it, who's seen it at its best. I mean, we're talking about a guy that was literally on, <clears throat> excuse me, literally on staff when South Carolina went to the 2010 SEC or SEC championship when they won the SEC East. He recruited some of the best players in school history. And you talked about, again, your interaction when you wrote him a note and he wrote back. And I think that also just kind of speaks to the guy that Shane Beamer is. I mean, he, he is you know, we see, we're seeing it on social media right now. <clears throat> the overall vibe around Gamecock football, is, it, it's just as high as it's ever been. Like you said, it feels like kind of back to when Steve Spurrier got there and the culture is being reinstated. Just talk about Shane Beamer, getting to know him as a player. I know he was doing his things with special teams and I think defense a little bit here and there, but mainly special teams. But getting to know him as a player, what Shane, Shane Beamer was like on campus when you were there for the two years that you knew him, and when you found out he got the job, just how excited you were and how excited you are for the future of Gamecock football. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of thoughts about that. I, I, I would say as soon as the announcement was made, I reconnected with so many guys that, we, that I played together. And so I think more than anything, my, my generation of player is excited about that. Andy Boyd, obviously, I got to shout out to him. He's a, he's a fellow Concord Spider, was a, mm -hmm. a, a big brother to me um, <clears throat> while I was there. He, um, I wrote him a note, and uh, without going into too many details, I, I thought Shane was one of the few coaches I could hold my head up high when I walked around the facilities back then. I mean, he, he made me want to play and you have, you have to, you have to realize um, most of the time I was with Shane, uh, I was a scout team quarterback. And so I got to deal with him quite a bit, probably more than most of the offensive guys uh, that did. And the way that he got his guys to play 
I, I'm just so encouraged that we're going to have that. And he's going to be able to do that from the head coaching position. I, I, you know, I, I did not, I, I went back and looked at a, um, a video of him being announced back in 2007, when, whatever day that was, dude, that guy looks so young. I, I don't know how old he was, but certainly a lot younger than I was or I am now when he was put in that position with Coach Spurrier and what he was able to, to, to um, accomplish. I didn't think of him much as an X's and O's guy. I mean, but, he, I mean, I, I think South Carolina was his like first big gig. Um, I thought of him as a guy that you were going to break your back for. And um, so I can't, I, I mean, it's been 11 years. I, he, he's been under some awesome coaches. So the X's and O's are going to come with that no matter what, in my opinion. But what we have in him now is a guy that he's going to get a hundred guys to play as hard as they can. And he's going to rally the troops. Um, I didn't think there was a chance that he would write me a, a note back. I, I can't imagine what his mailbox looks like these days. And the fact that he did just just made it, you know, made me that much more anxious to get back and support him. And uh, and I think we need to give him time. Um, you know, no, I, we need to give him time. Uh, he could have an awesome first year and that's going to be my expectation. But um, uh, we need to give him time to reset the culture and uh, and and get this thing right and uh we're but i think we're moving in the right direction Can't, couldn't be more thrilled to get back in williams bryce and watch a team led by him and uh check out what he's able to do yeah fun sure. times in columbia for sure tommy this has been a pleasure by the way appreciate you being gracious with your time i'm gonna get you out of here but last question though uh on a lighter note funniest spurrier moment you can recall whether it be involving you your teammates again listen I've, I've been able to talk to so many guys some of the funnier ones too have been from the non-quarterbacks especially the receivers because Spurrier was just as much hell on those guys as he was, y'all. But is there one Spurrier moment that, or something he said, again, whether it be directly involving you or somebody else, that just sticks out of the top of your mind? I think you're probably struggling to get quarterbacks to give you a good story on this because he was more, he was more serious around us than, than he was. I, you know, I, I don't know that anything specific will come to mind. I mean, he called me, you know – he called me a dumbass plenty of times and, and a lot of times held my academic record against me. Like, how can you be so smart, uh, you know, academically, but so dumb on the, the football field, the, the whole team got a good kick out of that. They, they, I mean, they probably would like that, but, but his interaction with defensive backs and receivers and, and all that stuff, he, I mean, he had one liners all the time. So, you know, it's almost like too many to actually come up with something, uh, right off the spot like that. But, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be letting you down on this last one, I, I, I think. No, for sure. I, I, lo I love it. Like you said, Spurrier is just an all-time classic. I, I always honestly just love seeing him shirtless on the practice field. That, that really – I got a kick out of that. That was – it's like, I, hey – I used to have – I used to have a picture in my office. I don't have it anymore, but yeah, my most famous picture with him is he's rocking, he's rocking no shirt on the way out, trying to get a little tan on his, on his way out. And he's talking to me and uh, I don't know where that picture is. It's probably in my house um, yeah. somewhere. Um, You're like, all right, but, football, uh, football is back. Spurrier shirtless, no shoes. We're back, baby. We're oh, back. Yeah. yeah. All camp it, was, is it, was, back. it was football, fighter jets and golf. Those were the three things that Spurrier cared about. And, and <laughs> if you haven't heard this story, this might be a good one. The, the only times that he would ever stop uh, practice was when a fighter jet would fly over the practice field. I mean, we would literally be in the middle of a play and he'd blow his whistle and be like, you know, that's an F-16 flying up there. I mean, that, that, that he loved that. He loved golf. He loved football. And um, so anyway, uh, learned a lot from him. Fighter jets. I would have never known that. I would have never. That's interesting. Well, now that's you know. Now yeah, you know. for sure. Tommy, appreciate you taking the time. Like I said, man, I know I speak for all Gamecock Nation, by the way, when I say it was a pleasure 
uh, to watch you do your thing. And like I told you, you know, on a personal note for me, those first couple of Spurrier teams, you being included, and it's funny, I talk with fans still and people say the uh, the Beecher rank era of, of South Carolina football. All right, so you, you tell have, you, you have your you own tell era. rank. You, yeah, you tell rank my my hairline is trending towards his. Uh, I mean, he, he had me beat at 17 <laughs> years old. I, I walk into the dorm and I see Taylor rank. He's got a big tattoo and the bald guy. I'm like, man, this guy looks like he's 40 years old already. Uh, so uh, but anyway, I, I shouldn't have made fun uh, of his hair because my hair is heading that direction. too. So. Oh, man. Hey, we're all getting there for sure. Tommy, it's been a pleasure, man. Appreciate you taking the time. Let's definitely do it again soon for sure. We'll do it again soon, man. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. He's Tommy Beecher. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on the episode of the Spurs Up Show. Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.